Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Now let's talk about this most anticipated event in history. How many have ever heard of Snowmageddon? Yeah, I remember that. You, there's all kinds of things. Stormmageddon. There's all kinds of things. You take whatever th- event it is, and you put it, it on the front, and then Mageddon on behind it, and you pretty well know where it is. But that all comes from one big word, Harmageddon. It's actually Harmageddon, because Har is the word for valley, and Mageddon is the valley of Megiddo. So Harmageddon means the valley of Megiddo. And it's that valley that God prophesied he was going to bring all people into, all the great armies were going to come into that valley, and there'd be a battle. Now, because it's such a big event, it gets talked about a lot of different ways. Any event that calls anything Armageddon that does not include a war against the Messiah with people on earth is not Armageddon, okay? Armageddon is not just a big battle someplace. Armageddon is not just some big slaughter someplace. No, it is about the Messiah in his return to earth being met by armies that have been opposed to him. That's always what Armageddon means. Now, again, it may be used in a lot of other ways, but that's what the word means. But why should such a thing be needed? Well, I'm going to do a little review work with you this morning because it's important that, uh, for me, I want to have a foundation for what I believe. And that foundation is found in the Word of God. And I'm, I'm rather unapologetic about this. I believe the Bible to be the Word of God. I don't believe the English is uh, the inspired version by any stretch. It was written in Hebrew and Greek over a long period of time by men that God called to do that. God gave them the words to say. It wasn't always dictator or um, dictation. I don't mean that at all. There were times that clearly God is using their language, their grammar, their vocabulary, so that they're writing words they're familiar with. He's writing contextually, so it's in the time they're familiar with. Because those two things are true, it's important to us who study the Word of God to know the time it was written, the context in which it was written, what was going on at the time. Those things are all important to understanding Scripture. Everybody see where we're at? That's an important uh, interpretive process that we have to go through to understand it. Well, we know that what we're reading right now was written about, if, if this is going to be on our platform here at a time, if this is about where Jesus came, if this is about 2,000 years ago, then John's writing is just about here, just past Jesus' coming, about 60 years after Jesus' death. This is around 90 A.D., somewhere in there. So we're about to change things. Lots of things have happened. The temple's gone already. It was gone in 70 AD. There's lots of things. Matter of fact, the the Jewish people are being scattered more and more all the time. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is going all over the place. It's going all over the world. Matter of fact, there's pretty good indication that Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, made it all the way to India with the gospel. There was evidence that there was a lot of uh, gospel work had gone all the way to China, before Marco Polo got there. 
There's good evidence that churches were existing and even Christian kingdoms were existing in Africa long before uh, it's, it's ever acknowledged. There, there are churches all along North Africa. Uh, Augustine was the bishop of Hippo, Hippo. That's right on the Mediterranean coast in North Africa. The gospel had gone there. There's evidence that the gospel had gone all the way through Europe. John's writing at that time right there. And he's writing because there is opposition to that gospel. And John is going to give to us stories and accounts and the um, beautiful writings, I'm just going to say, terrifying sometimes, about events that are going to happen out here. And they are so convincingly going to happen that he writes them as if they are happening at that moment. He writes them sometimes as if they had already happened. Do you follow where I'm at? And he's writing it at 90 A.D., and it's going to be happening, obviously, after 2022 or sometime in 2022 because he's talking about something that's even future to us. These writings are awesome. To think that the God who stands outside of time, as Al said earlier, who knows the beginning from the end has already told us what the end is. But why does this event have to happen? It has to happen because of what we are because of what people are all about. And the event that we're speaking of is the judgment, the judge, and the restoration that's coming. And here's why it's needed. When people rebelled against Almighty God. Now, look, back here when, where Adam and Eve were. When Adam and Eve were here, Adam and Eve had a choice that was given to them. And that choice was, will you trust God or will you trust a third party? Now, I know that somebody's going to say, well, no, no, it was about the tree. No, no, it was about trust. Will you trust what I told you, says God, or will you trust a third party who's giving you additional information that may or may not be true? And because they trusted him instead of God, they did things. They sinned in that. The sin, kids, was in the breaking of trust, in the breaking of a relationship that said, God, we would rather listen to this third party than listen to you. This third party is telling us that you are sneaky and that you're pulling tricks on us, that we could be as wise as you, he says, if only we needed this. We think you have deceived us. That's the breaking of trust. Would you agree with that? If a friend told you something like that, or if your spouse told you something like that, or your children told you something like that, you realize that your heart be broken because that is the breach of trust. That's what happened in the garden. And because of the breach of trust, they followed through with sinful behavior. Ultimately, it wasn't that kind of passive stuff that those guys did. It became active stuff. And if I can move in time all the way up to here, after the flood, after God had judged the earth, came the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel, kids, is a significant event in the history of humanity. It is our attempt to overthrow the rulership of God and take control of our lives for ourselves. 
Or as I put in that first uh, paragraph there, it's the search for freedom. It's the search for supremacy of control. I want to be in control of my life. I don't want to be answering to you. I don't want you to tell me what I want to do. I want to make up the rules. And it's utopian paradise. Those are all perversions of the garden. You see, once they lost the garden, they wanted to have the garden back again, but they wanted the garden back without God. So if there's a way to make a utopia, a kingdom, if you would, a kingdom that lets people be people, to rule, to reign, that's what they needed to have. And because that affront to Almighty God was so serious, he promised a judgment would come someday. But because God is long-suffering, not willing that any should, should perish, because he's willing that if someone will simply repent, he'll bring them back into that kingdom, bring them back into that relationship with him. It has not happened yet, but it will happen. And John's writing about it. And John's not writing about it just as if it was some new idea. Oh, no, that was told all the way back here. Joel wrote about it. This is the day of the Lord that's coming. Ezekiel wrote about it and said, why are you looking for the day of the Lord? Why do you keep saying, bring the day of the Lord? Do you not know the day of the Lord is a day of gloom? Do you not know the day of the Lord is a day of death? Why do you say, bring the day of the Lord, bring the day of the Lord? Prophets all during this period of time talked about God having a judgment time where he's going to bring everything into an account. Even Solomon. For all that Solomon, the guy had wisdom without understanding. That's dangerous. He used his wisdom in the wrong way and went all the wrong directions. But at the end of his life came to this conclusion. So what's the conclusion of the matter, he said? Fear God and do his commandments. In other words, stop looking for all your stupid freedom. It's not there. It's an illusion. God's your creator. God knows what is best for you. God knows how to take care of you. God's love for you is immense. So fear God and keep his commandments. He told young men, be careful, guys. You can do whatever your heart wants to do. But get this picture. You will give an account for it before Almighty God. You can do what you want. Follow your heart. And you may think because you followed your heart and you found so, and you're so fancy and free, it was a wonderful life. You still have to give an account for what you did in the face of the God who loved you of the God who created you, of the God who provided every day for you, who gave you breath, who gave you life. So it's in that rebellion, that affront to God, that this comes. What they want? They wanted to have the true free will, sovereignty. They wanted to be in charge completely. You say, well, but, but people have free will. Hold it. You have limited free will. You choose from the choices God gives you. But you can't decide what choices you want to make. God's free-willed. You are limited in your free will. 
if you get to choose between salt and pepper, that's free pepper. That's free pepper. <laughs> that's free will. But you're still choosing between salt and pepper. You weren't offered turmeric. You weren't offered barbecue sauce. You understand what I'm saying? So what people want is the ability to say, no, I want to say anything I want to choose, I can choose. And if I want to create a whole new name for it, I will. If I want to be a man today, I'll be a man. My pronoun will be him. But if I want to be woman today, my pronoun will be her. That's free will. And that's what we're after. Number two, they wanted to be free of God and his rules. Psalm 2. Let's just look there a moment, shall we? I know we've read it before, and you probably say, we, we already know that one. Let's, let's go on to one we don't know. Well, Psalm 2 is plenty good for showing us the true things about where we are as people. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That's us. That's people. That's why there's an Armageddon. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So you, you think you can be your own king? Get the picture. I created this. It's all mine. And I've set my king up. You don't have the free will to choose whether there'll be a king. You don't have that. I have that. And I've told you, I've set my king on my holy hill. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall bring, break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. It's a trust issue. Always has been, always will be. If you're going to be saved, it won't be because of what you did. It will be because of what you believed, who you trusted. You follow me? It's about trusting what God has shown you. All right. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, 1 Samuel 15, 23 says. So when we rebelled against God, it was as the sin of witchcraft. Uh, as he went on to say, stubbornness is as a demon work. I'll just say it that way. That's why there'll be an Armageddon. Number four, because we love the spirit of Babylon. We want to go back to Babel. Babel simply means a life independent of God. A life of me seeking my own rewards. A life of me seeking my own pleasures and believing in myself. That's why there's an Armageddon. Number five, 
We're on the pursuit of eternal life. We're on the pursuit of controllable life. Transhumanism. That's machine, chemical, and animal all united. Kids, I, I, at first, when I started reading about transhumanism, I thought, this, this is sci-fi. You, you, you can't be serious. And now the World Economic Forum is making it very clear, this is our plan. Elon Musk thinks this is a wonderful thing. Smart people saying weird things. And you're wondering, why? Because when you want to be God, when you want to have your own freedom, when you want to be able to choose, if you can have technology help you with that, if you can help chemical, have chemicals help you with that, if you can take the animal part of you and mix it with those two and come up with a life that lives a long time, of a life that's in control of itself, of a life that with just the turn of a dial gives you a little more energy, another little swallow of a pill gives you a new insight into things. All you're saying is, I want to be as God, knowing good and evil. That's transhumanism, kids. That's where it's at. Now, look, if you haven't looked it up, I haven't read it or anything about that, I want to encourage you, look it up, read it, study it just a little bit. You'll be amazed at where people really are and where they're really headed. Because they're knowing enough to know that they can put something in your skin that'll be able to determine what your emotional makeup is. You won't have to use algorithms like you do in Facebook. You won't have to use algorithms like you do in all those social media things. No, they'll be able to know by the thing that it's detecting in your skin. That's controlling. And that's creating a people that will serve you. Get this, kids. This is always going to be for the elite. It's never going to be for the grunt in life. Always going to be for the elite. And if you get fooled enough to believe that somehow the elite's going to let you into that very special club, you're deceived worse than you can possibly imagine. Live not by lies, kids. Live not by lies. Eternal life is only given through Jesus Christ. Only given through Jesus Christ. Why? He's the only one that created it. He's the only one that has it. No one else can. Machine, chemical, and animal united. Number six, it's expressed as totalitarian, dystopian, and destructive of anything like the image of God. Fear and anger are now united in this one, and it's loaded with propaganda. You know, I really have appreciated getting to read C.S. Lewis. I've appreciated getting to read Tolkien. I've, I've appreciated something. And I kept wondering, why is all this stuff coming out right now? Is it, why does it sell so good? What's it, what's it all about? And I think I know. I think I finally come to the realization. So hang here with me. I know that the, when Harry Potter came out, man, we're all back. Don't do anything Harry Potter. It's all about witches and stuff like that. There aren't a, Here's what it's about, kids. We are such a materialistic group of people. We quit believing there was any other world than the material world. We came to a point of denying, 
And this was straight from um, Carl Jung and, um, yeah, 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 the other guy, Dave, the, the, the guy at the beginning, the guy that started the whole thing. His name just slipped me right now. Um, at, at any rate, I'll just say it this way. They wanted to be, have people liberated from God. They didn't want to believe there was a God. They didn't have a God. The only way you could do it is quit looking at people as three, three parts, as body, soul, and spirit, as soma, as pneuma, as psyche, to quit looking at people that way. And since it's spirit, pneuma, that's connected to God, who is a spirit, pneuma, if you can do away with God, you'll do away with that pneuma in a person. And doing away with the spirit in the person, you're left only with the psyche in the person. And that psyche we'll call human behavior. And it's in that psyche that the study of the psyche came. Psychology. And it was the study that says there is no spirit in man because there is no God. And the whole thing was a godless perversion to get us away from this spirit thing that's controlled by revelation. He wanted to get to the thing that could be controlled by psychotherapy, by chemicals, by a variety of technologies. That's what's going to create the dystopian world. I kept wondering, why do we have all this literature? Why do we have, why is everything about it, you know, when you, you come out, you've got to watch this one, this is dystopian. Well, why, why do we have superheroes all of a sudden? Why do we have them with superpowers? What, what, why do we have Harry Potter? Why do we have those? Why? Because there is another world. There is another world, kids, and it's been going on for centuries. There is a world full of angels. There is a world full of spirits. There is a world of all kinds of things going on and all kinds of weird witchery. And you don't settle that by guns and bullets and knives and fists. That's here. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This is about truth. It's about what captures people's minds and hearts. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the only world that people can create when they're running away from God is dystopian. It won't function properly. It can't function properly because the elites believe they're supposed to be doing it and those who are under the elites believe they've got to rebel against it. It's always going to be dystopian. And it's always going to be destructive. There will always be in that new world those who must either control other people or bury other people. There's not another choice, kids. Not another choice. Anybody read Brave New World? Okay. Read some of it. Just read the first few chapters of Brave New World, Aldous Huxley. 1984. Those are all about propaganda and about control of people using chemicals or what the Bible would call pharmakia. We are in a world of, of lots and lots of propaganda. 
things that are told as if they were true when they're not. And we don't spend much time verifying what's, what's said. If we hear it, we're ready now to accept it as true, and we get snookered every time. People are fooling us on a regular basis. No wonder Jesus said, do not be deceived. All right, let me go on to number seven. Why is it Armageddon? Because people want to make a union with the devil. And that's the last delusion of this age. You shall be as gods. You say, they make a, a union with the devil? Yes. What do you think the whole last few um, moments of the kingdom are about? It is when they have the mark of the beast, and the beast is empowered by Satan, and they are giving glory to the dragon. They have now united themselves with the dragon. They have united themselves with the devil in the last great delusion. And all of those armies have been gathered together by Almighty God to that valley where God's going to do the dealing. Letter B in our outline, the just and long-suffering God had warned of judgment on this rebellion. He called it the day of the Lord. The wicked saw it as weakness. The wicked said that, uh, that you, you are like one of us. You were just weak. As they talked about God, they mocked God's long-suffering. This is in Psalm 50. You can write to, uh, Psalm 50, verse 21. The, the, the wicked thought God was weak, that he makes big threats, and he talks big, but he doesn't really do anything. He's a pushover. He's full of mercy, and you can do anything to him you want. And God said, I'm not like you, and one day I will put all things in order. One thing, one day, I will put all those things in your face in order. But I also noted this, that the scoffers saw it merely as words. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, you read this. Yet scoffers will come in those days saying, hey, where's the promise of his coming? You've been talking about this coming thing for a long time. There's no coming. Why don't you grow up? Why don't you get the right head on? What's the matter, you nuts? You crazy? There is no second coming. There was no first coming. That's all a delusion in your head, kids. And the scoffers thought it was just words. The whole world will know it as it begins and feel it as it is happening. Remember, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ comes at the end of that tribulation. What have they seen all the way through that? Man, they saw all seven trumpets sounding out. They saw all kinds of judgments taking place that gave them ample time to say, wait, before you go any further, I surrender. I don't want to go on with this. This is crazy. Too many people are dying. Too many things are burning up. Too many things are going on. I repent. I trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But there was too many that were saying, I believe in the beast. I believe the beast is the true Messiah. I will follow the beast. And they took the mark of the beast. And it's them who are gathered in this valley who took the mark of the beast, who worshiped the beast and the prophet, who worshiped the dragon. It's them who are gathered in that valley. All right? Yet for all these signs and judgments, they will not repent, and they will be destroyed. How much time does God give? How many opportunities does he give? Repeatedly after each of those 
There could have easily been a time to repent. But their hearts were so hardened and so deluded that they died instead. They would not repent of what they were doing. Number four, that's because, kids, if you understand what we're talking about right now, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.11 says exactly. Knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing what's ahead, knowing what judgment's ahead. Kids, we're on this side of that tribulation. And John's already told us what's going to take place. He told us the gradual progression of it, what it was going to look like with each trumpet that sounded and what it's going to build its way up to until you finally find the beast making his appearance and people falling for that beast and, and, and the children of God getting out of his way. They knew then it's over. This is done. And then you read all those trumpets that bring such massive destruction on that leads up to the second coming. Kids, we're back here before all that and knowing the terror of the Lord. This is what's ahead. This is not a joke. This is not some uh, uh, Marvel world. This is not the Marvel universe. This is going to happen. That was fictional. This is not. This isn't Star Wars, kids. This is real. This is what God's going to do. Please trust Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.11 is saying. If you have not made peace with God, draw on God's peace and let Jesus make peace with you. You're in trouble, friend. Out here is coming a massive destruction that no one can fight against. Let's go to the second page. The entire time of the tribulation to the second coming is the day of the Lord. Now, let's say this is where the seven year begins. This is where that tribulation begins. And it begins kind of mildly, doesn't it? You've got Israel that's now coming, being regathered back into the land, and Israel's starting to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Temple's getting rebuilt. Looks like we're kind of having a revival. We're hearing about some upstart over here that's starting to conquer places, starting to make a name for himself there. And it's all culminating because it tastes pretty good. You got the two prophets in this area right here in these first uh, three and a half years speaking and carrying out all kinds of wonderful prophecies and all kinds of things. And you got it all building up to right here. And then the sign that he said, when you see that one, there's no way to stop that time clock. You may have misunderstood the things that were happening. You may have thought this is a great thing, that Israel's turning to Christ. This is wonderful. But you're also knowing that there was war going on, there was famine going on, there was persecution going on, a lot of other things going on too, but you say, well, that's normal. That's normal. That's life as we've known it. And it sort of is, isn't it? But once you see that one, the abomination of desolation, that clock is ticking and on its way, and you're not turning the hands back on that one. And the destruction and judgment that's coming is a fearful, fearful thing. Or as the Scriptures say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. It is like the flood in the days of Noah. It's like the flood in the days of Noah. And I'm just going to remind you of this. 
that in the days of the flood of Noah, how, how many people drowned on, on the first part of it? How deep's the water? Kids, follow this. That water's going to come in slowly. When the first drops of rain came, people are looking. They're wondering, what's that about? What's that about? And by the time it's up over their head and they can't breathe anymore and instead they're sucking in water, it's too late. Which part of it is called the flood? The whole thing, right? It's the whole thing. That's what's the flood. The day of the Lord is the whole thing. It's not just out here where the war happens. There was a buildup that came all along. The waters broke loose and started to cover the earth. But by the end of it out here, they are covering the earth. And there isn't any dry place to stand and you're dead. But it's all the flood. And this is all the day of the Lord. Even that which at first looks like it was survivable. But by the time you got to the middle of the thing and rain's not stopping and it's still growing and rising and going and rising, it's done. It's the day of the Lord. So I can say this for you. That whole tribulation period can easily be called the coming of the Lord. Even though you're not actually going to see him bodily till here. This is not an independent act out here. This act is the culmination of all of this act. You follow where I'm coming from? It all goes together as one piece, and it can be called the coming of the Lord. That's why it includes the rapture, which is a coming of the Lord for you. But it won't match with the other things because when the rapture takes place, not everybody sees it. There's not a flashing of, of lightning that goes from the east to the west. It just happens in the twinkling of an eye, and it's done. But when that tribulation starts, kids, they will see into heaven. They get to see all kinds of things because the heaven's open, and they get to see things. But when they see Jesus on that horse, it really is way beyond too late. Okay? All right? It's all the coming of the Lord that way. The key to watch is the ingathering of Israel and their restoration to faith in Messiah. Okay? So they're standing on this side of the tribulation. What should we look for to see? Well, uh, earthquakes. Well, earthquakes are going to happen, but that's not a sign. Uh, that's just something that he said is going to happen. How about wars? Well, they're going to happen. He said they were going to happen. Uh, how about uh, famine? Well, yeah, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. But is that the sign? No, he said, don't be deceived. What is going to be the sign? The end gathering of Israel. Bringing Israel back. That's his biggie. That's Ezekiel 36 and 37. You've got to have 36 and 37 before you have 38 and 39. 
And Ezekiel 36 and 37 is him gathering Israel back in again to make Israel a new people, to make them his people. That one, when you see that one happen, kids, start looking up. Any day. Any day. Has that started happening? Yes. Yes. And you should look for this. The term is called aliyah. Aliyah. That means the coming back home. It's when you, as a Jewish person, you're leaving the diaspora, something's gone on there, and you're coming back home again. That started happening with the war in Ukraine. You say, well, the war in Ukraine doesn't make do. Yes, the war in Ukraine does. What did it do? It sent lots of Jewish people out of Ukraine to make Aliyah back to the promised land. That's where they are. That's the in-gathering of Israel that he said would take place in 36 and 37. All right, let's get the event carried out. This, this one goes pretty fast because it's pretty fast-paced as you read it. Let's take a look here at 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together in the, to, for the supper of the great God. I, I, there, are, there are things that happen in Scripture that you sometimes think, that's, that's almost funny, but it's not. Here's what I mean. Do you remember earlier in this same chapter where he said, blessed are all who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Can I tell you, that's a joyous occasion. And if you got invited to that, happy are you, man. And now the great God, who is the provider and the feeder of all things, calls another supper. But this one he calls to the birds of the air. Come and dine. Come and dine. Look, look how he says it. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Wow. Somebody's about to die. Somebody's about to be killed. And there's going to be a lot of somebody's because it's the great supper of Almighty God. Let's just state this. The Scriptures tell us also that the sun and moon are darkened. Even more stars stars fall from the heaven. The power of the heavens are shaken, it tells us. Then there is the gathering of the elect to join him for the battle. You see up the top of um, the first page there where it says, Revelation 19, 17 to 21, and support Scripture. This is from the support scripture, just trying to put together. I tried to find all those that dealt with what happens with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here were things that said. There's the gathering together of the elect to join him for the battle. The gathering, he says, he will send his angels out. The trumpets will go from one end of heaven to the other. Wait a minute. That's not just people on earth. He's gathering together all the people. Do you remember when, you, when we read last week that you saw him that sat upon the white horse and all those followed him in white linen? That's his gathering. That's when he blew the trumpet, gathered all the elect together from one end of heaven to the other and from all over the earth, and they joined him to, to, to follow him in this great battle. There was the invitation to dinner. Multitudes were gathered in the valley, and the gathering of the 
carrying took place there. Joel 3 talked about that. Uh, Ezekiel talked about that. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. All right. Then Matthew told us this. As the lightning flashes from east to west, I saw heaven opened. There was a white horse and the rider who sat on him. All will see it and mourn. Okay? Now, get this. That is following the destruction of Babylon. That is following all the seventh trumpet disasters that took out so many people. There is no one on this planet that thinks it's peace, peace. It's not. And some of those things that talk about the coming of Christ say, and when they say peace, peace, then shall it come like a thief in the night. That was back here. Because there's nothing thief in the night about that coming. This one's been planned. They've been seeing it. Heaven is open. They have seen the rider on the white horse. They have seen the lightning flashing. They have seen the miraculous coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a surprise. They're looking at it, and they're all mourning for it. Oh, no. It is true. This which we scoffed about, 2 Peter chapter 3, is now real just like those would have scoffed in, in Noah's day when they said there's no such thing as a flood, and it took them all away. According to 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 2 Peter 3, 12, it includes flaming fire, flaming fire to cleanse the earth of the bloody, murderous rebellion of the ages and the spoiling of the earth. I've wondered, uh, when you read the last chapter of Daniel, Daniel 12, it says, blessed is he who comes to the 1,235th day, and then blessed is he who comes to the 1,335th day. What? I, I thought when Jesus comes, that's it. Let me ask you, when Jesus comes, what do you think the earth has looked like? Let's see, a third of the trees are gone. They were burned up. They're so like there's char. The oceans are blood. The rivers are blood. Bodies are laying everywhere. There has been this slaughter where there was blood running to the horse's bridles, and you've got birds sitting on carcasses all over the place picking them clean. Welcome to the millennium. Does that sound like some place you'd like to live? Kids, it's all got to be cleaned up. And before it can be habitable again, it's going to be just like it was back when it began. And the earth was formed without form and void. So the earth was destroyed. So fire has to come and get all of that taken place. And then you have to have a temple built. And then you have to have the land restored and renewed so it's now producing lots of things. That's going to take a few days. You have to have judgments take place. We'll look at those next week. There's several kinds of judgments that have to take place that's going to take place during that period of time. You are going to be involved in judging. Somebody has to judge the angels. And 1 Corinthians 6 says you are going to judge the angels that rebelled against God. This is a big deal, kids. This is a big deal. This is God doing what we wanted him to do. What those who have believed in the righteousness, have believed in there is a city whose builder and maker is God, who believe that there is a heavenly home, 
who have known that their Redeemer lives and will yet stand on the earth, who knew they would be resurrected, who looked ahead, not just at the circumstances they were around. And looking ahead, they had that hope, a hope that declared, this is what I promise for you. What eye has not seen, what ear has not heard. Well, it tells us this. There's war against the beast, the false prophet, the kings of the earth and their armies. That's Armageddon. That's Armageddon. Now he divides it out. So let's take a look at this just a minute back in chapter 19 again. It says in verse 19 of 19, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army. Then the beast was captured alive. He was not killed. The beast was captured alive, and with him the false prophet, so that's the guy that boasted about him all the time, that told what he was going to be, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who, are, uh, received, who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, remember, you had three main characters. You had the dragon, the beast, and the prophet. We've just now been told that the beast and the prophet are being cast alive into the lake of fire. By the way, that lake of fire is not Hades. That lake of fire is Gehenna. That's hell. That's where they're cast alive into. Everybody follow me? That is, we haven't even mentioned what happened to the dragon yet. We get to that next week, okay? But for right now, just get this. This is Armageddon, and they're cast alive, the the prophet and the beast are cast alive into the um, lake of fire. The armies of the earth, as it goes on to tell us, these two were cast alive. uh, Verse 21, I'll go there. The rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So they ate what the great supper had promised them they could have. They were fed well. All the armies of the earth are killed with the sword of his mouth. And this is the one that speaks of the blood to the horse's bridle. All right. The birds are filled. And now we find out that Satan will be bound in the abyss. And there are judgments to follow. All right. This is a big event. The biggest one in history. This is the one that changes everything. Because after that one comes the kingdom. That's what you were born for. That's what you were born again for. (laughs) I hope you're trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I hope you're not making this some kind of religious something or other. Not some sort of ethical hodgepodge. But instead, you recognize it for what it is. This is the truth. This is God Almighty, the righteous, holy, just God, whose long-suffering has held grace and mercy for years, finishing the judgment and opening a whole new era, a whole new age of the kingdom. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for what you're doing in each one of us. Now we ask that for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll open our hearts to the truth of this. Please don't let anyone leave here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Please, Father, do not the adversary steal that word from them. Rebuke him that he may not indeed steal anything. That your mercy and grace may be shown and people be saved. We'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name.
and for the sake of him who called us. Amen. God bless you in this day. God bless you in this week. You've got a wonderful week ahead of you. You are children of God. You have been fully equipped with everything you need for life and godliness. You have been blessed by Almighty God, and He's loved you with all of His intention and power. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But know the terror of the Lord, and know that it really is coming. And there are people who are in danger of that terror. Tell them. Tell them. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Alton and I will be preaching to you at 6 o'clock in Romans. And uh, my wife and I will be leaving in just a few moments. We're heading to Texas. We're going to visit our family down there. And then we'll be back next Sunday. Uh, well, next Saturday night, actually. But next Sunday, we'll be talking with you about the judgments which are to come and what's, what's ahead for us. Let's look the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much. What an awesome God you are. Thank you for your immense love. Thank you for your immense program. Thank you that you are so long-suffering. Even as we read these things, Father, we, we see your terror. And we recognize that that terror has not been expressed like that yet. You have been long-suffering and kind with us. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Please open our hearts to the truth of that and open our mouths to speak the words of God to all kinds of people. In Jesus' name. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.